Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. Joe Walsh, Managing Director of Lepidico Limited. We're a vertically integrated lithium development company that is leveraging its proprietary process technologies, LMAX and LOMAX, plus others, to produce high purity lithium hydroxide and other alkali metal chemicals from our phase one project, which is on the cusp of coming into development and then production late 23. Joe, good to speak to you. Thank you very much for coming on the show. Um, appreciate it. I think lithium's uh, had a fantastic year. So in terms of the prices that it's achieving out there, equities have been a little bit up and up and down. Saw your story, um, and I wanted to understand a little bit more. Lith- you're, you're, are you a lithium company? Or your chemicals company? I think that's the first question I wanted to ask you. So we're we're very much a chemicals company. Uh, lithium is our main product, uh, but we will be producing uh, a range of other products, uh, including SOP fertilizer, morphous silica. So we've got both high purity chemicals and bulk chemical byproducts. Fantastic. Okay, right. So now we, we very quickly, we're not going to think of you as a lithium miner. You're a chemicals company. I guess that's the is, was that decision made. Early on, I mean, from the get-go, I mean, what did you actually set out to do originally? So the original concept behind Lapidico was to, to develop a process technology to extract lithium chemical initially from uh, mica minerals, lithium mica minerals. Um, the, it, it was already known that uh, the potassium could be extracted as SOP fertilizer. So then the question was, can the other metals be economically and efficiently extracted? And our process technology, LMAX, um, very clearly demonstrates that, yes, it, they can. Um, and uh, it's a purely hydrometallurgical process um, it doesn't involve any pyrometallurgical front end like conventional spodumene um, uh, processing. And we can effectively deconstitute the mineral to produce a whole range of products and no waste. Okay. So, okay. Because it's, it's kind of, it is, again, we're going to spend a bit of time on it because you, you do actually have a, a lithium asset, right? You've, you've got a DFS on a lithium asset. Correct. So we're a vertically integrated business model from in mine or in the ground mining and then concentration to produce some lithium mica mineral concentrate and that's what the, what then feeds into our chemical conversion plant that uh, that employs our proprietary process technology but you want 100% of people's attention focused on the downstream component the 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 chemical plant the pilot plant that you you've, you've got going at the moment that's where the money is in the future is that what you're saying so the the proprietary technologies really drive the model but we're vertically integrated. So we're totally unapologetic for having a mining component, having a beneficiation component, and having a chemical conversion component. But I think if you, if you just look at the split of the capital for our phase one project, a third of the capital is in the mine and the concentrator. The mine is tiny. We're looking for the first half of the mine life. One uh, excavator and three relatively small dump trucks. That's it. By global standards, it's a tiny mining operation. Two thirds of the capital is invested downstream in the chemical conversion plant. 
And so that's really uh, where uh, where the, the value is added. Okay, and, and that's where the money's going to come from. Okay, so I was going to talk to you because the, the as you say, the, the mine's tiny. It's, it's kind of inconsequential, but it, it allowed you, I guess, the feed to do the development of the, 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 the products, right? You've got Lomax and LMAX. What's the difference? Okay, so LMAX was the first technology that, that we developed. And that takes the lithium micro lithium phosphate mineral, leaches out the metals, and then removes impurities to produce a lithium sulfate intermediate. Okay. Okay. The Lomax process then takes that lithium sulfate intermediate intermediary and converts it directly, not by lithium carbonate, directly to lithium hydroxide. And the, re- the reason that process technology came about is we were looking at using conventional tech, but we identified that that would produce a byproduct sodium sulfate, which is a very mature market globally. And we saw a potential fatal flaw for our project in doing that. If we couldn't sell it at some point in the future after we'd come into production, you can't just dispose of it. It's highly soluble. So it can't just be put into a tailings dam. So we looked for an alternative where there wasn't any uh, byproduct sodium sulfate, and we wanted to go directly to hydroxide. Lomax is a very elegant chemical solution that takes us directly there with better recoveries than conventional processing, lower energy consumption, um, lower capex, lower opex. So it's it's a win-win, and it does have application for spodumene processing because conventional spodumene uh, conversion employs sulfur-based chemistry and um, there is a lithium sulfate intermediate there. So we see opportunity in licensing Lomax out more broadly than LMAX. Okay, but th- I think that's the point is that you, you don't go and brand these things and patent these things unless you're trying to create a product to sell into market. And, and is that the way is that the business? Just license this thing out? So no, it's not. It's it's broader than that. So we uh, um, we're looking at being a chemical producer in our own right. So our phase one project is all about proof of commercialization, developing the the upstream mine, the concentrator, shipping that concentrate to at the chemical plant where we produce all of these products. But it is proof of commercialization. But the, the, the name phase one should beg the question, well, what about phase two or phase three? Absolutely. Like we are looking at having further, probably larger scale project developments. However, like we've already entered into our first license agreement with a UK private company, Cornish Lithium. In certain circumstances, we can consider licensing. And as a result of that, we envisage that we will, in parallel with the operating business, we'll have a royalty business. And what's, what's the potential, just on that side of things, in terms of the, the, the licensing? I mean, Cornish Lithium, I think we all, certainly the, the members here know all about it, many of the subscribers to you. Um, what, what's the scale of the opportunity there in terms of the licensing component? Well, there, the, We've tested now 19 different deposits around the world. And so long as a reasonable concentrate can be produced we could we have yet to find one where lmax hasn't produced a good quality product right so we see that there is broader application globally in using this technology 
it's well known that um, pegmatites that host spodumene deposits are quite often zoned and have lithium microzones within them. Right. And so uh, with, the, with the just phenomenal growth that is expected, particularly over the balance of this decade, but probably the following decade, in lithium chemical demand, uh, we don't see ourselves as being really a competitor in the lithium space. We see ourselves as being a collaborator and collaborating with other companies because the world's just going to need the lithium. And most likely, electric vehicle supply is going to be limited by raw material supply, in particular lithium, at some point in time. Okay, so if I, if I look at instances where companies come up with their own proprietary methodology and they, they'll patent it and, and brand it and so forth, if you, I've looked in uranium, hasn't quite worked out because the technology is specific to a certain type of ore deposit. Uh, lithium, I think, you know, famously, more so, more so in the brines in terms of they each have to have their own specialist extraction technologies and it's a very sort of technical uh, commodity. You know, likewise here, you're, you're dealing with hard rocks, obviously. Is there a lot of tinkering needed if, and I'm sticking with the kind of licensing routes initially, are you going to have to work closely with the companies to get to their solution or is it something that you think is going to work irrespective? There needs to be ongoing involvement. Now, we've been on this journey now for eight years. Uh, since original concept back in 2013. And over the course of that time, there's been a, a huge amount of know-how developed. So it's not just a patent or not just a series of patents. There's considerable know-how. So for any company to be able to deploy these technologies, they really, really need to leverage that know-how. So it, it will need our involvement. But it isn't, isn't that a problem for the company? I know you've had it eight years because you're going to try to work out the basic premise of it and then um, refine it towards the end. If a company like a Cornish Lithium, in the instance of Cornish Lithium, um, you said, look, here's this technology. 95% of it is going to be generic to you, you know your type of deposit, but we've got some tinkering to do at the end, just to kind of tweak it, optimize it. And it's not going to take eight years. It's going to take six months. It's going to take 12 months. Is, is that the, the, you know, the, the, the sales pitch there, or, or does it take longer? I think that that's a pretty good dis description. Um, so you know, Cornish Lithium, for example, um, spent a quarter of a million dollars on due diligencing the technology that involved a whole lot of test work. So um, they evaluated the technologies, decided that they were the most appropriate, um, and you know, they're now working towards a pilot plant. So by piloting this, um, they will be able to fine-tune, as you said, the, the process for their particular uh, feedstock. Right. And in their case, um, they've done some due diligence, they spent a bit of money. Is, is there a kind of decision point or have they passed that now? It's like it's all, all systems go with regards to your relationship with them and, and their purchase of, of not just the IP, but you know your ongoing consultancy. Well, my sense is it's all systems go. So um, they're, they're continuing to do further test work, um, they're looking at, at building the pilot plant themselves. There's, there's um, a lot of interaction with our technical group, Strategic Metallurgy, to, uh, to support that initiative. And so, and, and it is a support initiative. Like the, the reality is this is going to get optimised specific to their feedstock 
and they need to take ownership of that. Right. And how do you go about charging for something like? Well, in fact, let's talk about the let's stay with the sales thing. So I want to know how easy it is going to be for you to sell this. And and I know we're just sticking with the licensing thing for now. We'll come on to the other options you've got on the table too. But you were going to them saying, right, okay, this is a zero waste product. We're going to be able to extract cesium, rubidium, SOP, and goodness knows what else. Uh, they get to keep the benefits of all of those byproducts. Um, they're just buying the license off you, as simple as that. Or have you got optionality in terms of the way that you actually construct an agreement with companies like Cornish Lithium? Yeah, so we, we have a standard license arrangement and standard license agreement. Uh, that was adapted for Cornish Lithium. Um, and there was a specific circumstance at that time, like we had a $4 million Canadian convertible note outstanding and uh, Cornish Lithium paid us $4 million up front uh, for that license. And so as a result of that, we gave them a concessionary royalty rate of one and a half percent of um, gross revenues of all products. Mm -hmm. um, the, the normal royalty rate is higher than that. And we also gave them a 15-year royalty holiday from the date of signing the arrangement. So they're incentivized to come into, into production as swiftly as possible um, to maximize that royalty-free period. But no one should expect we'll do that again. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, that was going to get you out of the gate and get going, get and, and retire a convert, yeah. which is always a good thing. Um, okay. So, but let's talk about some of those those um, byproducts. Okay, because they're not. In, I've named a few there. Were there. Have I missed any? The the first byproduct to come out of the process is actually an amorphous silica. Right. And you should think about this like a silica fume. So it can be used uh, as a supplementary cementitious material. So it can partially replace or substitute cement going into concrete. And I think it's well known that cement has an incredibly high carbon footprint. And as a result, concrete has a high carbon footprint. This reduces cement consumption in concrete by about 8%. It also improves the compressive strength of the concrete product. And so it's a fabulous environmental product. Is it heavier? So, would, it, the, would the concrete be heavier or light? Was it, was there all the benefits to it? I, I, I don't think it will materially change the, the density or specific gravity of the, the okay. concrete. It might a bit, but I, I wouldn't have thought that that would be material. Okay. Okay. So there's that. You've got, you've got the silica. I've mentioned obviously cesium, which is kind of small market, high value but small small market, rubidium, yeah. obviously. Similar. Similar. Yeah. So then we've got the SOP fertilizer, which is obviously a, a bulk commodity, but a high value fertilizer product. Um, we then produce a reasonably high purity uh, gypsum. And we're looking at selling that as a, um, uh, in, uh, in the United Arab Emirates, where our first chemical plant's going to be, uh, because they're a net importer of mineral gypsum. Uh, and then the final uh, residue, I use the term loosely, product, is a lower grade uh, gypsum, it's about 70% gypsum and contains some benign alunites. And that will be, we're looking at that going into uh, road construction. So right. think about it as deconstituting the mineral and then the reagents that come in combine to produce a comprehensive suite of products and no other solid waste. Okay, so if you were if your end products are hydroxide and you're selling to, well, let's say you get to the point where you say we're going to sell to OEMs direct. Let's mm -hmm. say 
they're going to say to you, well, talk to me about, you know, your zero waste or your zero carbon, your zero everything these days. Uh, it's ESG, um, green credentials. You're going to say there's no, uh, there's no deleterious matter left after we've processed everything here. There's, there's a, there's a use for everything and it's all positive. So you should be buying ours ahead of anyone else's. So therefore, can you charge a premium for it? Oh, like I think that, yeah, we'll just have to see how this this unfolds. Um, whether there's a premium for products like ours or whether there's a discount for products not like ours remains to be seen. Um, but I think that we do, we will we do have a desirable product here, and I think your point is well made in that having uh, attractive ESG credentials is really going to be essential for selling lithium chemicals, but also other chemicals, particularly into the European and North American theatres. And, you know, because what we're seeing here is, is obviously European governments are leading the charge to a large extent on um, requirements for vehicles and auto manufacturers uh, reducing CO2 emissions. And so they have to be focused on their whole supply chain. Um, and so that I think that you know it's very it's going to be very difficult to achieve zero carbon chemicals when you look at scope one, two, and three emissions. The reality is, um, without having offsets, it is going to be very difficult to achieve. Um, our technology, like we've had uh, GHD, the environmental consultant, leading global environmental consultant, do a greenhouse gas emissions study on our project. And they said, uh, stated that versus spodumene, conventional spodumene processing, uh, we have considerably lower greenhouse gas emissions. We still have emissions. We know where they are is the important thing. So our largest single source of emissions for the phase one project is, is natural gas to produce process heat in a boiler. Right? So we need steam at about 165 degrees Celsius, okay? Our largest single source of uh, emissions. However, there's a um, collaboration between the UAE government and Siemens to aggressively develop a green hydrogen business in the UAE. We're looking at putting in a hydrogen-enabled boiler, so future-proofing the plant, that will reduce our greenhouse gas emissions in one initiative by about 60%. We've got a pathway to get our greenhouse gas emissions down to three tonnes of CO2 per tonne of lithium hydroxide produced. Okay. Okay. That is best in class. That's better than any of the brines. No, I, no, I, I recognise that, and that's that. One, I want to see how serious you are about this because people, when when people start chucking zero carbon uh, at, at me, I, I we kind of get into the detail and we go, well, look, it, it, it's not, and uh, yes, it's, <laughs> right. But you you've got to do best endeavours. They go, oh no, it's okay. We're buying some carbon credits over here. It's all okay. It, that's a very different conversation, right? So okay, so so. I, it kind of leads me on to where I was going to come to it later, but you might as well do it now. You've gone, you've gone to the Middle East, 
right? For, for, for the plant there. What, 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 why there? I mean, you're an English guy in Toronto with a project in Namibia. You've got the, a, a, a plant in, uh, I, I guess it's in Perth, it's definitely in West Australia. Um, and also in the Middle East, it's just, what are these collaborations that you're forming? So we've spent, when we did the pre-feasibility study and then the first part of the, the full feasibility study, we spent a lot of time studying logistics because we got a lot of products and we also um, consume reasonable tonnages of quite specific chemicals. They're bulk chemicals, relatively low cost, but we obviously want to be minimizing costs, maximizing revenue. And there are very clearly strategic locations around the world when we can do that or where we can do that. So using the footprint that we've got for the phase one project as an example, we've, we've got the deposit in Namibia. Fabulous uh, deposit, great sub-Saharan African jurisdiction to be operating. So then the question is, can we put the chemical plant there and just minimize our logistics? So there isn't uh, a, a source of sufficient sulfuric acid in the country. There isn't any natural gas for process heat and there aren't markets for the bulk byproducts. So we can't sell the amorphous silica there's no concentration of that market in sub-Saharan Africa. There, there isn't a concentrated market for the SOP fertilizer. So then when we look at other locations, and let's focus in on the UAE as to why that is so strategic, our largest single consumable is sulfuric acid. We use about one ton of sulfuric acid for every ton of concentrate we process. Abu Dhabi is the world's largest producer of elemental sulfur from the sour gas operations. So there's an abundant, affordable source of sulfur. We can then make our own sulfuric acid. That process in itself produces a huge amount of process heat, waste heat, which we can capture and then put back into our process, reducing our emissions, reducing our power consumption. The, that part of the Middle East is also got an abundance of uh, limestone and lime manufacture also used in our process. Also very important, there's a huge construction industry in, in that part of the world, particularly anyone who's been to Dubai or Abu Dhabi will, will know it very well indeed. So there are local markets right there on our doorstep for the amorphous silica, for the gypsum, for the gypsum residue. So it, what it does is it's a location that allows us to maximize our revenues, minimize our costs, and that more than offsets the cost of shipping that concentrate um, from Volvis Bay in Namibia to Abu Dhabi. Brilliant. Okay. Look, I, I know that part of the world very well. I imagine they're very pleased to also have, have you there so as a lead. Well, but I, I, I better not say that. It, it sounds to me like it's, it's, it's a leading technology and uh, chemical industry in the chemical industry for, for uh, lithium recovery. That's um, I really like it, and I, th I imagine they will too. Um, let's let's get on to the bit where we talk about um, your options outside of the licensing. Okay, you can go and identify other similar mines elsewhere in the world and say, right, we, we're going to use this as our feed, and we're, we're going to produce this ourselves. It, it starts getting it starts getting quite um, messy at that point, doesn't it? Because you need a whole bunch of different sets of skills from running mines to feed into this this 
uh, system of yours, this processor of yours, along with all these other licensees, is is that attractive to you? I, I think what is attractive is is having that vertically integrated business model. Um, and so it means that we as a company and our shareholders can benefit from that value add through that broader spectrum of the of the supply chain. Um, I don't. We can't go any further downstream. Our expertise absolutely isn't in cathode manufacture or anything like that. So we are we are looking at being specialists in that segment of of the supply chain. And I think, as I mentioned earlier, like this mine is tiny. Like the mining part of this is is really very very modest. Uh, we're looking at one excavator, three trucks for the first half of the mine life. We're then looking at using conventional flotation to produce a mineral concentrate. The concentrate is small. Now, the, 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 the main value add piece is in the chemical conversion plant. And you know, phase one is about proof of commercialization. We're working on a phase two scoping study. It's been a bit of a rolling study to, to be able to pull out as much valuable information out of the phase one project as we can. But we're, we're looking at uh, whether a phase two could viably go into Namibia, we're trying to. We've, we've got a. We're proactively now trying to build out our resource base in Namibia to support phase two. Um, we're also obviously going to look at Abu Dhabi, seeing as that's where we're developing a presence. But with, then it makes sense to look at where is our main product, the lithium hydroxide, being consumed, and the reality is Europe. The US, like currently the US hasn't got a single lithium-ion battery cathode manufacturer. There isn't even a commitment at this point in time for a cathode plant in the United States. I think that that's going to change before the end of the year. And I expect that by the time we can consider uh, offtake for phase two, there'll be multiple cathode plants in operation within the US and also in Europe. It makes sense to be considering those, those theatres. Like it's obviously not a great distance uh, versus Abu Dhabi to be going to or shipping a concentrate from Namibia to either the US or parts of Europe. Yeah, it, yeah, it makes total sense. Um, just so, just I get the Namibia thing; it's a small project, but maybe just remind us of what this studies show in terms of capex and how much money you're going to be required to raise if you want to get that thing moving. Sure. So, in Namibia, um, the the amount of capital going into the mine is. is is very little like these are it's a brownfield development so they're former mines that were mined for tantalite and petalite and so the most of the mine infrastructure is there the hall roads are in the water infrastructure is in the only uh, major infrastructure we need is about a 27 uh, kilometer power line spur from the switchyard uh, at the nearby town of Karabib. Uh, most of the capex of 45 million US, which is for the Namibian piece, is in that concentrator and building the concentrator. Downstream, the capex is $96 million for the chemical plant in Abu Dhabi. And we're building that in an industrial free zone. So think plug and play concept, like all utilities reticulated to the fence line. We build on that site, we plug in, and we go. And so really a, a very environmentally sound uh, basis for developing within designated industrial park. Um, so uh, the that's, that's kind of the split on CapEx. 
um, capital intensity, which is obviously a very important measure in the, in the lithium industry, is very competitive. You, you can't ignore the byproducts at this point. So, um, you know, it, when you look at, uh, take the byproducts into account, our capital intensity is around between 17 and $18,000 per tonne of lithium hydroxide equivalent. If you ignore the byproducts totally, we're, I think it's around $26,000, $27,000 a tonne. Like there, are, there are projects that are being committed to, when you take into account acquisition capital, over $50,000 a tonne. If you then look at operating costs, <clears throat> again, we've obviously got the byproducts. So you can look at this on a co-product or a byproduct. Uh, basis, but from a by a byproduct uh, basis, all in sustaining costs are around three and a half thousand dollars a ton of lithium hydroxide, which is very industry competitive. Again, if you'd like to take a conservative approach, ignore all of the byproducts. We're for the vertically integrated project. We're around eight eight and a half thousand dollars a ton. That's that's line ball competitive with a vertically integrated spotting project. Yeah. Okay. That's great. Thanks for going um, through the numbers. Um, with the the first forty five, obviously, where, where are we at today? We're sort of 100, 110. Where are we at? No, one hundred seventy, one hundred eighty million market cap. Aussie, a lot of shares out. <clears throat> you can you. Have you had conversations around financing already in terms of what your options are? You know, get a sense of the cost. Absolutely. Right. So we we announced in October last year that we'd entered into a mandate agreement with the US government's International Development Finance Corporation. This is a DFI, a development financing institution. Uh, they provide debt funding to projects in developing countries. Namibia qualifies. So we've been uh, engaged with them for over 18 months now. This is some of the hardest debt to get, but it is also some of the most affordable debt. So if you went onto DFI's website, you'd see that they tend to be lending between 5 and 6%. We think that that's the best outcome for our shareholders. And it, by, getting, by securing that debt, we haven't got it yet, but we're well advanced. We're advanced in confirmatory due diligence. They've appointed an um, independent engineer. The independent engineer was been to site in the last three or four weeks. Um, so this quarter, they will finish their, their due diligence. And as a result of having such compelling environmental credentials in particular, but also social credentials, I think that I, I see no reason why we shouldn't qualify for that DFI funding. That then I think should provide equity investors, uh, other commercial lenders, a huge amount of confidence. What sort of percentage are they uh, talking about in terms of the debt? So we've appointed a, a specialist debt advisor, a group called Lions Head Global Partners, who are uh, based in London, but have specific expertise, particularly in Africa. They've got an office in Dubai as well, in New York. So they've, they've got a footprint that fits for us very well. They work with most DFIs. They've got to work with, uh, with DFC before, formerly OPIC. Um, so the, the relation we've got, they've got the right relationships. Um, so uh, the, uh, their modelling is indicating between 60 and 70% debt with the balance being equity. Okay. Okay. So if you hang your hat on, say, 65% debt for the project, that would suggest somewhere around 30-odd million US um, uh, for a debt funding for the Namibian piece. Obviously, the UAE is not a developing nation at all. 
so we're looking at more uh, conventional commercial debt there. And then also, if you look back to the last lithium price cycle, you know, there's a lot of projects were funded in part by um, consumers, lithium consumers, off-takers, providing prepayments. So you know, this is the, we see that we can structure the funding for this project really to minimise the equity component. Okay, so let me just stick with Namibia. It's 45, you said. Um, so 30 of that debt. Who would you be going to for that component? Because, because Namibia isn't everyone's cup of tea. Like the, with the debt in place, it makes it a lot easier for sure. So who are you talking to re, um, that? Or are you going to go out to market and raise more capital, uh, equity that way? So the equity for the Namibia. Namibia yeah. yeah. So we'll be funding that at Lapidico Headco level. Right. So Lapidico Limited head company will be is, is the arranger for all of the financing. So any equity will be raised at that level. But as I said, um, we're, we are going to be exploring opportunities to be leveraging the product stream to be providing capital into the project as well. So for, as I said, for example, prepayments have been uh, extensively used for lithium projects in the past. Okay, but you're going to have to put those together in, in, in quite short order then, aren't you? And and is is the Cornish lithium thing indicative of the type of equity you can get up front? I, I think Cornish lithium is a totally separate example here. Like that's a licensing arrangement. Um, so I wouldn't be drawing any parallel there. Okay. Um, so... Uh, yes, we're looking at, uh, th- this is going to be a big quarter for us right now. So we're obviously looking at the debt and offtake all coming together at the same time, but we've been working on this for years. Um, so it's, it's really a question of, of bringing it together. Um, and, you know, to be able to get the debt, we need the offtake. To be able to get the offtake, we need confidence in the funding. So th- th- they're all interlinked. But we we are we are getting down to the finalising all of these arrangements in the not too distant future. This quarter, that's the target. Okay, well, look, I, I won't push you on that one because if, no, if you're in the middle of conversations, like, I, I guess you're in the middle of conversations. But okay, you feel confident that this quarter the Namibian component comes comes together. The I know you're doing everything at head K, but I just, I just want to separate these. So U, UAE. Um, they've got lots of money. You're in, you're in a free trade zone. Are you going to people like the Abu Dhabi Investment Authority or similar to see if they want to take part of in something like this? It's it's an interesting question because one of the things that took us to the Middle East in the first place, uh, apart from the fact that I worked out there in the early 1990s, is uh, uh, we were just doing some marketing to more traditional equity type investors and sovereign wealth funds, etc. And we kept getting asked the same question have you or would you consider building a plant in the Middle East? And it was uh, it was that that really got us to say, oh, well, let's have a look and see if this is a strategic location. So, um, yes, we do see uh, there being sources of capital um, in the UAE in particular. Um, so commercial lenders as well. Like, uh, as I mentioned, Lion's Head Global Partners has got an office in Dubai, which they're, they're using for this. Um, so we, we, we think that there's opportunity for both local lenders plus also more traditional lenders to chemical markets and natural resources markets to be coming in for the debt piece for the, the Abu Dhabi chemical plant. 
Um, and then, as I say, we're, we're looking at leveraging the product streams to be able to get a proportion of uh, funding to absolutely minimise the, the equity component. Essentially, so no mention of China, potential debt out of the US, proximity to Europe, you know where you want to be playing once you get into production and you can actually start selling some of these products. So um, again, we'll, we'll hear more of that as, as things progress. With the byproducts, what's your, what's your experience or the team's experience in, in, in terms of um, managing that? Because the, there's a market price, but as byproducts, you don't tend to get full ask. And it's quite frankly, you just want, you want cash in quickly. You're going to find yourself, who, who are you going to work with on that? Monetizing. Yeah, we've, we've been spending a lot of time on on the byproducts, um, particularly the higher value byproducts. Like I, I think that the uh, the SOP fertilizer is a, a, a big enough market for there to be a, a um, it, it's commoditized. So there there is a a price there that I think that um, uh, we should be pretty close to as far as a market price. Uh, and bear in mind, we we will be the only local producer about 13,000 tons a year of uh, SOP in the Middle East, 100,000 tons a year is imported largely from Chile. So there is a location benefit right there. Um, and this day and age where everyone's trying to reduce logistics costs and CO2 emissions, it's a win-win. Um, so, uh, but with, with regard to the, um, uh, the cesium and the rubidium, very opaque, small markets. They are going through a very significant transition now. Um, you know, the Both cesium and rubidium are on the US list of 35 critical minerals, along with lithium and SOP. So I think we're the only project in the world that probably produces four of 35. Um, but the cesium and rubidium are a subset of 14, which the US is 100% reliant on imports of and a further subset of three where those markets are dominated by Chinese interests. And so I think we have seen good interest in our project um, uh, from US interests, in, particularly in securing the cesium and rubidium uh, supply. Um, a few years ago, there were two US chemical companies producing uh, cesium. One of them was Cabot Corporation based in Boston, uh, which had the Tanko mine in Manitoba, which produced cesium chemicals. And then Albemarle Corporation were producing um, cesium from a facility in Germany. Um, Cabot sold their whole cesium business, the specialty fluids business, to Sino Mine back in 2019. So it's now controlled by a Chinese corporation. Albemarle are now, we, we understand, depleting their concentrate feed source of polyocyte uh, since the Bakita mine in Zimbabwe ran out of polyocyte um, back in 2018. And they're closing down, we believe. So as of next year, there will only be one size producer of cesium and rubidium compounds globally. We provide an alternate, an alternate feed source. We've got the world's only ore reserve of both cesium and rubidium, period. Okay. So 
it is quite a strategic our project and that phase one chemical plant is quite strategic as a result of that yeah i think i think our club members have, we we did a, a show on on the cesium market uh, i think our club members will uh, remember that uh fascinating i should say but very opaque um Let's so right okay so so to answer the question is you feel that you can monetize that in in, in some meaningful way to contribute towards the um, not just income but obviously have a have a net effect in terms of the, the cost of production here so this will be as far as you're concerned for the for the hydroxide you'll be one of the lower cost producers globally which is going to make you attractive along with the the other kind of sales messages that you talked about earlier in terms of zero waste etc um have you uh, most people say oh we're in talking to oems we're having these discussions you're a little bit early for that uh kind of chat so wh- how much how much weight more waiting do we need to do for these um these phase one uh part you know this pilot phase and the, and the phase one testing that you're doing before you get the confidence to say right i think we've we can move forward at scale here because that's what you're looking for isn't it it is so i think first first and foremost um we built that pilot plant in perth back in 2019 and operated it in 2020 so the technology is pilot proven um we uh, a couple of months ago we committed to a second uh, campaign uh for the pilot plant and um with uh, that will complete uh, early next year part of the reason for that is so um financiers can do due diligence on the process okay so i think that that, that highlights how far along we are now on on this debt finance let's be clear about what what that that campaign finishes what does, what does that mean? What, what what finishes? So this is pilot plant campaign two. So we're running the pilot plants in Perth again, in part to to so groups can do due diligence. It's not just um, financiers doing due diligence. Off takers, customers want to do due diligence, and this goes straight to this point of ESG again. Right, is that you know being able to demonstrate. Uh, the process to showcase it as having modest emissions, v- modest water consumption. These are all vital. So, um, yeah, I think that uh, I suspect that our product, our lithium product, will be sold into the electric vehicle supply chain. Um, who it gets contracted with is a different matter. Um, and so if you think about it, the logical customer for our product is the direct consumer. That's a cathode manufacturer. It's a cathode manufacturer that takes the lithium chemical that then fabricates that into the cathode, then that cathode goes into the battery, the battery then goes into the vehicle. So the OEM is actually several phases removed from us. However, again, the point is well made because of supply security, we are seeing OEMs getting more and more involved upstream. Right. Okay. So same plant, no additional spend required. You just you're just putting a second phase of of, of uh material through processing it. Some people are are, are, are um, looking at that uh, that product, evaluating it, and then you're in discussion with them about well, how, how to move forward, depending on who they are, whether they're cathode OEMs or, or, or et cetera. Okay, understood. Um, good. 
Just trying to just trying to think of um, in terms of timing for you, you told us what you're hoping happens this quarter, uh, which involves which seems to be involving uh, the money for Namibia. Uh, UAE is going to take a little bit longer. It's a bit bigger sum of money, or were you hoping to do that this quarter too? So we're looking at commercial lenders here, so that like their lead time is significantly less than for a DFI. Is it um, okay? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And we are already, and we've we've said this publicly. If you go back into some of our quarterlies, you'll see that we're in discussion. We've been in discussion for quite a significant period of time uh, with a number of commercial lenders. So um, we're bringing we're bringing everyone along on the journey in parallel together. Um, we put an announcement out yesterday on the byproducts on on the the cesium, and we've. Uh, We've uh, extended our IP. We've uh, lodged another provisional patent application for making a alkali metal ternary material, so cesium, rubidium, and potassium for application in chemical catalysts. So the largest single use of cesium in the chemical industry is as catalysts. For example, it's used in sulfuric acid catalysts. It reduces the energy consumption in the manufacture plus it improves the yield, mm. okay? So it's, it's an environmental product in that, in, in that sense. But um, so it's a very, chemical catalysis is probably close to 40 to 50% of the total global market for cesium chemicals, okay? So again, it's a logical place for us to be looking for offtake. And this is a market that's going to be losing about 40% of its feed over the course of the next six six months or so, so um, uh, we one of the reasons why we're running the pilot plant again is also to produce further samples for for those uh, uh, cesium cu customers. Um, so I think that there's going to be very good demand for for our cesium product, um, and from a due to banking due diligence perspective, having binding term sheets with customers is is an important part of it and so we're bringing all of that together right now but no announcements yet bringing everyone along but no announcements yet correct okay hopefully next year getting into production at the mine and everything else follows very quickly behind that like a podium was awarded the epcm contracts earlier this year for both the um flotation plant in namibia and the chemical plant in abu dhabi uh, they're on schedule for delivering the control estimate for both projects um, at the end of November. And so that will then give us revised lead times for the major capital equipment in the plant. Okay. So, um, but if we, and we haven't obviously got to that point yet, but if we look at the lead times that they gave us for the definitive feasibility study in May last year, um, if we can be starting construction works in mid first quarter next year, then we'd be looking at probably first mining in the fourth quarter of next year, feed going into the concentrator. So commissioning of the concentrator late next year, Q1 23. There's then obviously time for that to ramp up obviously get concentrate on the water, ship that to Abu Dhabi. We're then looking at commissioning 
third quarter next year in Abu Dhabi for first shipments in the uh, product in the fourth quarter. Okay. Understood. Thank you very much. Uh, You've broken this down for me because, like I said, there are so many moving parts. I wasn't sure I was getting it all. You clarified it immensely. Um, Appreciate your time today. I'm definitely going to be watching, see what happens this quarter. Sounds like some exciting uh, announcements to come. Please come back on the show and let let us know how you get on. It'll be interesting to see follow you through this quite interesting process um, that you're going through at the moment. So, yeah, thank you again. Yes, thank you. And it is going to be a big quarter uh, for Lapidico. Um, you know, we're, we're bringing all of these pieces of the puzzle uh, together over the course of the, the next uh, three or four months. Uh, and it's it's going to be a fabulous achievement to be then converting the, the project into a full implementation and coming into production. Uh, we're, I think that we are one of the first lithium companies to be coming into this new wave. Um, and so uh, I think that we we have got an early mover advantage in that regard. So thank you very much for the t- your time and look forward to being back. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.